You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. So, Jono, welcome to the IoT Leaders podcast. Thanks, Nick. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Okay. We're going to talk about um, uh, supply chain and logistics and a pretty innovative IoT solution here. And um, it's an area that, that, certainly from my perspective, I didn't really think too much about. It's not the most obvious area for IoT, but it actually is really innovative and, and has got a great uh, ROI, essentially. It's a very clear business benefit. And um, it's in the area of supply chain and logistics. So you work now for uh, BT, BT British Telecom Final Mile. We'll get into how you ended up in BT Final Mile, uh, because that's an interesting story in itself. But first of all, as a way of context for the uh, listeners uh, and indeed the viewers um, who watch it on the video option, um, could you just talk a little bit about BT Final Mile and um, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what problem you solve. Yeah, so um, I guess I need to describe what a BT Final Mile is and, and yeah. do what Final Mile is, and it's almost exactly what it is. It's the final mile of um, the logistics problem. So it's about getting the goods, the parcels, the packages, whatever it is, to the person who needs it, when and where they need it. So often we're quite good um, in logistics of getting stuff to somewhere and having lots of stuff there and people coming there and, and getting it but you know oftentimes that's really far away it's you know it's a hub they, they quite call them hubs <laughs> it's quite a popular term and basically what that means is people need to go to these places and obviously that creates a bit bottleneck and, and journeys for people that don't particularly need them so final mile is about that that final mile of delivery so not just getting to the hub, but after that, how do you get it to the person? So that's what the final mile is. And quite simply, BT final mile is, is a solution to that problem. Oh, for me, it's the solution. It seems to be the best and one as far people, as I'm concerned. Are these people, yeah. um, I mean, it sounds a little bit like Amazon, but um, it, there's a specific group of people. You, I mean, it's not, as I understand it, it's not um, Mrs. Smith waiting in the house for a parcel and, and has to drive to a hub to pick up a parcel from Amazon, but it's not what we're talking about. Is it? Uh, no, it's not. Um, I guess it's a similar, it's the B2P uh, problem. So it's what the businesses face. So um, particularly um, engineering field services. Um, so these, these people who you know, go around installing your, your modems, your gas meters, going up to telegraph poles, the, these people who, who actually, they also need stuff. They're not just ordering things off, off Amazon or eBay and getting delivered. They're, you know, ordering things normally off their own business or, or, or from somewhere. And they still need to get that stuff. But obviously, it's quite important for them where, you know, us at home, when we buy something online, we're somewhat okay with it being dropped next door <laughs> to the old lady down the end of the street. In a business setting, that's not really acceptable that we can't say, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's with Mrs. Smith in the road. Yeah, you pick up a couple days. Yeah. Your new, your new smart gas meter. Yeah. She really didn't, didn't appreciate carrying it into her house because it's heavy. <laughs> um, but um, so so we're talking about field service engineers, which is a pretty broad 
category of people because, I mean, you've already said it, BT don't do gas meters. So straight away, um, you, you can see that what you're talking about is is this, you know, field service engineers in general, yes, some of them might be BT putting a new router into your house or coming to do something to your house and the, getting the parts uh, which we'll go into. But but this is a, a an industry issue for anybody who has a, a field um, service um, uh, team. Uh, um, it, it's a generic industry um, problem and opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for, for everyone from, you know, the breakdown, uh, car breakdown guys to um yeah to, as i said the guys who go up telegraph poles you know um people who look after um fleet vehicles you know all these sort of uh, people require parts um and they can't have them delivered to their homes you know they don't have the time to be going into the local post office with their little red card and saying here I've got a parcel. Here's my ID. <laughs> Can I get yeah. it now? You know, they don't have that you, time. Do you have do you have 36 gas meters in the back? <laughs> yeah. So, so this is a a, a broad industry um, uh, solution because a lot of companies, arguably anyone who sells things to businesses, have field maintenance, field support teams. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and those teams need spare parts. Uh, they need access to products. As you say, it's not. It's not the Amazon model, so the field service engineer doesn't get an Amazon delivery at, at Amazon Prime at 7 a.m. With, with all of the parts. So they uh, presumably they have to go and collect them somehow. They have to get them and they have to, uh, I guess they're spending a lot of time doing that, which is what's at the heart of this. So maybe just to start off with, how, how, did, how does the industry in general solve the issue of getting uh, products and parts to field uh, service engineers yeah so uh, the, the solutions that exist that aren't our iot product um there's a, there's a couple of them out there some of them are, are quite quite strange and i was quite shocked when i learned about them and um, the, the simple ones are sort of what we call pudos pick up drop offs so that's similar to what you would see as uh, you know if you were going to a, a royal mail uh, office to pick up your your parcel it's a more industry standard like they go into their warehouse um, and go to the desk at the warehouse and says can i have my 10 gas meters please and the guy goes off grabs 10 gas meters from the back and give it to him you know so there's that solution which obviously causes its own problems um well especially i would imagine especially if 30 people all arrive at one time yeah well that's the thing they you know all these uh, people are starting all these engineers are starting at the same time they're all starting at you know half seven eight o'clock in the morning so they're all meeting there half seven eight o'clock in the morning and that obviously means you've got 30 engineers some poor <laughs> person right. behind the desk <laughs> have to collect all these the poor guy behind the desk with a yeah. pack has got to get 30 30 uh, uh, gas uh, cast iron yeah. gas meters exactly yeah. and, and these engineers. and these engineers are people so they you know their friends show up they're going to stop and have a chat they're not you know going to rush away uh, to, to work either so yeah there are the sort of problems with that um, and also that you know just with these these uh, pudo locations these hubs aren't always in a convenient location for uh, for the engineers to get to, and um, a lot right. of times they require driving through a town to the other side of town, around to an industrial state. Maybe they, they don't doesn't really fit in with their their day and their schedule. Um, the other solutions then are literally what, what we've seen was having a room in in a building, um, and they just go in. Their stuff has been dropped there the night before with everyone else's stuff. But if they've ordered, you know, a 
brand new pack of spanners because there's is all the rusty and they're like well i need some new ones they order them but then their mate john shows up you know five minutes before them and he's like oh they're nice and shiny i'll, I'll have them for myself and takes them you know it can result in in things like well people's tools going missing um going walkabouts and then someone not getting their gas meter or you know smart meter installed yeah. because it, the tools have gone missing um and i think we can all um identify with that because these supply chain issues are often um covered up shall we say um to the consumer all, all the consumer knows is that you got a, a delivery slot of the engineers coming to fix your fridge or install whatever um uh, and they'll be there you know in the morning or the afternoon you're looking yeah. at that level of granularity um and then you find that they don't show and it's very frustrating and, and of course one of the reasons they don't show is because and i guess a pretty common reason actually is because the parts were either the spanners as you say were either chosen by the guy who got through the door first or the parts were just not there or, or the the supply chain uh the delays in the supply chain mean that they just couldn't get to job number seven they only got six done that day and therefore they didn't yeah. show up so this is a um an enormous problem the distribution of physical goods for supply chain engineers so that's what we're talking about it is, um, yeah. and no one's really cracked it uh and and none of the consumer delivery companies are in this business um they're into B, B to C, you're solving a B to B problem. So let's start off by now going back in time because you actually were part of the company that BT acquired to solve this problem, which I believe was called um, Pelipod. So first of all, let's talk about Jono. So give me the uh, brief history of um, Jono because um, I believe you went from university to Pelipod, which, yeah. which which was the company that was started to with an idea to solve this. Is that right? That's yeah, that's um, exactly what happened. Yeah, I um, I graduated um, in product design in Ireland, um, and pretty much when I finished that, it was it was during the, um, sort of the end of the crash, uh, the economic crash. Um, which I feel like we've had many now. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Um, and for financial me, really, one, are you are the financial crash? Are you talking about the two thousand? Yeah, the financial yeah, two thousand eight crash. Yeah. yeah. It was, Some it of was us are a little bit older to remember a couple before that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, my options uh, were a little bit limited in Ireland at the time. Um, so I started looking at jobs abroad. I was, I was young, so I, um, I saw this job advertised i think it was on one of the you know one of the websites for for jobs that are around um applied for it um and got a call off mark who who was one of the one of the founding members um of pelipod um saying to come over to london for an interview um just to myself i booked my flights a range of time all sorted um to meet them probably around midday or or or, or, or afternoon um in, in heathrow for an interview um, but it gets to, I think, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., it's some ridiculous earlier, and I get a call, this was back when good, good customer service existed uh, for, for airlines, a call from the airline saying, my flight's been cancelled. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, they, they gave me the, offer, the option to get on a, an earlier flight at like 3 a.m. or something in the morning. Um, so I have to go wake up my, my dad, give him a good L shake and say, here, 
you need to drop me to the airport now. <laughs> this story about solving global supply chain problems yeah. all comes down to you shaking your dad awake at, at, at 3 a.m. Um, uh, uh, to get you to go for the first flight out of uh, Dublin or wherever. Yeah, out of Dublin in the Heathrow, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm from there then. Um, obviously, long wait in the airport then to meet, uh, to meet the guys. Um, to my interview prep, got the job. I got really... the job. Yeah, I didn't scare them off. Um, I had a thicker Irish accent then than I do now, so it didn't scare them I, off. I wasn't going to mention anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so listen, you 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 were early, the first engineer on board. Is that right? Uh, yeah, the, the rest of the people weren't weren't really engineers. They were, you know, um, Carl, whose idea it was, um, who I guess he knew systems. He was very IT sort of based guy and the rest were yeah I, a similar background or, or just management backgrounds so, so I was the first sort of en- engineer but I was a product designer you know I wasn't really an engineer <laughs> so, so, so you yeah. found yourself you found yourself um uh with um well first of all you're owing your dad a favor because you shook him out of shook him awake at that time <laughs> the but you got the job and you found yourself in a startup called Pelipod uh, which um, was not exactly directly related to the degree that you, you did, but then a lot of us are in a similar sort of situation. And what was Pelipod's, um, so this is just around the time of the crash, so we can date it to like 2008, 2009 or something like that, I guess. Yeah, well, it was the end of the crash, so it was in the early teens. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. yeah, so, yeah. And what was Pelipod's idea? What was the big idea? Uh, yeah, well, then it was a, a B2C solution. That was that was what we thought it was going to be and, and where our focus was so it was to create a, a still a final mile solution but maybe something more similar to, to what your listeners will be um well no um like your amazon lockers and stuff like this but this was something that you know sits yeah. outside your, your your front door yeah. um and essentially someone comes along with your your parcel it was well, very specifically you could generate codes you go onto, onto our, our website you, you click I want to generate a code from my locker. You put that into your actual address line. Yeah. Um, so then when an engineer, or, well, sorry, not an engineer, it'll be your, your delivery man, your Amazon man comes around. Um, he'll see Pelipod, one, two, three, four, types it into the, this locker box thing outside your door, opens it up, drops the parcel and closes it. Um, it takes a picture of it, of what's in there. Um, and it sends you a text message saying you're, you know, awesome. parcel's been delivered from Amazon. Um, and it's been open and closed at this time. Um, and then if someone comes along, your you know your son comes along, opens up the <laughs> box uh, with his code because he'll have a unique code if you choose to give have chosen to give him one, um, and decides he likes your parcel and takes it. It will say, "All right, it, it has been opened by you know it was in my case, Jono. <laughs> He's taken your uh, your new phone." Uh, for himself and close it and you'll know that because obviously you go back home and it's been taken you can see who's opened it last and it was your son so yeah it's interesting you know Janet, how um that market has now evolved because with the benefit of hindsight we can look back and say the b2c market was just taken by two innovations by amazon uh shameless plug both of which powered by uh si connectivity on a global basis but one is the um uh, the Amazon lockers, which aren't outside your front door, but are sort of in the not far away, but the bright yellow banks of lockers. Same concept, but but it's actually somewhere you go to drop and drop off. 
uh, pick up or drop off. And secondly, is the um, it's just starting in the US now, but is key for business where people can actually have access to your uh, if you give them a door or or a gate or a warehouse door or whatever the Amazon Prime driver can can actually get access without you going there to open it when the van turns up so yeah. so amazon are just completely automating that um um so at some point there must have been a pivot so what did you, you got acquired by bt what year did you get acquired I'm trying to think now i think i think it was 2017 but i think this, right. the conversation had started in about 2016 yeah around that time so, so what, what you pivoted to b2b the whole yeah. um uh field service engineer was that as a result of the bt acquisition or were you pivoting anyway i think we were pivoting anyway um uh, we had certainly realized how difficult it was in the b2c market and um, there was no way we were ever going to be able to contend with with the big players like like amazon really in that space Um, you know you can't it's very yeah. difficult to oh. go into that and say hey <laughs> i'm taking these guys on you know yeah. it's uh yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it required a, some level of change, um, and yeah, we, we we discovered through conversations um, with people going to you know your shows and trying to sell it that yeah, the same problem exists for for businesses for for the B two B world with field, and particularly the field service engineers. And I know BT at the time were had just started looking at a solution. They were trying to find the solution to their their supply chain problems. Um, they had it, the They got a huge. Uh, field field engineering force. Yeah. So they had a, yeah. they were a, a big strategic uh, a company with a with with their own problem. They were looking for a solution anyway, right? Yeah, they were looking for a solution anyway, and uh, other large companies like EDF use their supply chain as well. So it's it was a, a massive problem and a massive cost to their business. Um, so it was just right timing, really. Uh, yeah. We we, Which is we true, true for a lot of a yeah. lot of companies are in a completely different business to the one they started off. In originally, they often don't tell the story, but they uh, something happened. Um, either winning a customer or a competitor came in and just said, oh, "We're screwed here." But actually, you know what? If we sort of turn it, turn it ninety degrees to the left, paint it red instead of green, um, uh, actually we solve a different problem, and that's a defendable hill because people aren't looking in that direction, which is exactly yeah. what you did. So, so all right. So we got the. Um, so so what now bt final mile been in there since i guess four or five years and now it's a pretty well established solution out there you've got quite a few customers so let's how many customers have you got and how does it work to be honest i have no idea how many customers we got there seems to be a new email i get every week saying well, i actually knew the answer, <laughs> I, knew the answer because, so um, uh, I did a bit of research and yes i do i do do research of uh, the podcast guests i believe i'm right in saying that you have about 1900 so let's call it 2000 um oh no you have they were sites weren't yeah they're they're so there are a lot of sites uh bto a lot um a bit of a fun <sighs> I like to think about it. if you ever hear about you know when you're in a big city and they say you're never four feet away from a, a rat. <laughs> I like, well, you're never more than fifteen minutes away from a, a BT site. Um, yeah, I, I'm just glad you're an engineer, not a marketing job. <laughs> but so I think we've got your general drift. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of sites. So we're on. We're on. Yeah, we're on. Probably over over nineteen hundred sites now, and we've got about I say just over five thousand. Um, Pelipod device, well, lockers specifically on those 
sites. Okay, so five thousand. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll leave the rodents. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, so we've got five thousand, and they're being used by multiple companies. Um, so um, how does it how does it work? Um, yeah. So it's it's a really this is the beauty of the IoT solutions. It's quite simple, certainly for I guess for the engineers and for the customers to use. Um, essentially, what the, there's a two sort of ways they can do it. They can either have pin code for our engineer and that's their locker that they go to every day or they can have a, a one-time use code that works more towards I guess so it's the parcels and the actual goods going into the locker so if we talk the, the pin code solution um, it's one of probably the most common ones that, that they like to use is a, a locker gets assigned to an engineer or a group of engineers you know two or three of them might share a locker and um, if, the, if the customer wants to save money that way they can do it that way um, and you know deliveries get put in there by um, by us, we do the deliveries as, as well uh, as part of the service we we offer, um, and then I get pause there. Sorry, I always like because I I always probe on the business model. Yeah. You just said something you're about to move on, because I think it's going to come back to where you likely to or could go in the future. Yeah, you not only are installing the lockers and offering the service. But and um, as a revenue stream for BT, but you are actually offering the logistics. You're becoming a, a logistics company in itself. You, you just said that you're you're actually offering to put the company, your customer, the company's products into your lockers. Yeah, we we uh, do. Yeah, pick up from their their locations and drop it to um, to the Pelipal lockers. We offer that service for them and the returns as well. We we go there. Okay, so one, it's becoming a one-stop yeah. shop. Yeah. It was a locker, it's now a logistics company. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it is. And it, it, right. you know, it makes it a lot easier for, for the customer. They don't have to shop around and do different people for all different parts of their supply chain. They can just come to us and we'll we'll, we'll solve the problem for them. So yeah, um, where was I? Well, I, uh, the pin codes. <laughs> yeah, you were saying the two ways. I, I, sorry, yeah. I, that's all right, that's right. Yeah, um, the most pin- common is the pin code. The pin code solution, and that's um, really like so. If you were an individual engineer, you'd have a, a pin code, and that's your locker, and you can always access that locker with that pin code. Um, until someone says, "Well, you're not having access to that locker anymore." So essentially, what happens is we drop the goods off, and they'll say, "Pick up your goods whenever you want," um, and and they'll you know they'll just go to the locker. They know their pin code would be, you know, on a piece of paper someone's given them at some point or in an email from, from their line manager. They'll access the locker every morning, every second morning, whenever they need to, to pick up their goods and drop them off. Um, and we'll have an agreement where we'll go out and we'll empty the locker every Friday or something like that, just so that they know that's the day their returns gets picked up. Um, and that solution is quite good where they want to have engineers sharing lockers, um, and just to have an engineer who just has to remember his one pin code, that's it. You know, it makes it quite simple for them. The other option is, um, the option I like, <laughs> to be honest, is this is what we call uh, one-time use um, codes. And essentially that's more assigned to the parcel um, that goes in there. Because what happens is you get um, the delivery driver coming out and he has a unique code. He opens the locker, he drops, the box in and closes it and it says that parcel has been dropped off we know that because the guys used that code um, and that can trigger an email uh, a text uh, phone call whatever it is out to the engineer that says your parcel you know your smart meter has been dropped off into this locker at this location here's your unique code go pick it up 
therefore, when they go and they use now their unique code uh, that is one time use and open and close it, it will say engineer A has picked up his, his smart meter at this time. So that, you know, that individual smart meter is now tracked in that, you know, within that okay, window. So you've now gone yeah. to tracking of an item. And, and all of this is, I mean, it, 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 it's implicit, but we should probably make it explicit. It's, it's using cellular, obviously. Yep. And you guys need 100% uh, coverage because it's no good if you've got 90% coverage if 10% of the lockers can't be opened. Um, so you need a, a, a SIM which gives you the, uh, and, a, and a capability um, which gives you the maximum connectivity because you, you want to be able to put these lockers, well, banks of lockers actually in any location, it's very similar to what Amazon asked for actually, which is, which is presumably one of the reasons why you chose SI for the solution. It is, and yeah, these lockers do end up in the strangest locations, I tell you that. Uh, yeah. You know, we have ones up, you know, beside basically what's a cow shed up on a hill on the side of Scotland and, and they work, you know, and they work perfectly and engineers do go up and, and use them. Um, and we've got ones in the cities, you know, um, and, you know, some that you, we are a bit surprised that they do work because they're under, you know, often telephone exchanges, um, but they still manage to work, you know. So five, they, five, five yards from a rat or five yards from a cow is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so work no matter what livestock's around, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But 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 the but the uh, serious point is that a uh, you know uh, mobile network operators as regular listeners to this uh, podcast know we never fail to mention it but you know we all know that if you put a proprietary sim in the device it works great until it doesn't and um, you you can't swap or if you're a locker you can't move five yards to the left to get a signal. Um, you know, so you've got to have a, basically a hundred percent for every location. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, our, our business case and your brand goes, goes to hell because people can't either open them or they can't retrieve their parcels. Yeah. It, it'd be, you know, it'd be, you know, we wouldn't be able to operate if we went to our customers and said, uh, you'll be able to open a half the time, you know, that, that just doesn't work. You know, yeah. the, you know, the, the engineers, um, the businesses, uh, need to know that they can go and get into their locker when they need to get into their locker um, because at the end of the day you know there's a you know there's a business cost to, to someone not you know being right. able to deliver their service and there's a human cost to someone not getting their job done you know there's engineers who'll be out driving later than they should when they should be at home doing you know homework yeah. with their kids so there's you know a real cost brand and and that's one of the things that we found is that when people are looking at the um, use case for IOT it's obviously to, to justify a project to get the budget allocated it's often very difficult for people because this concept of well how on earth do i get a, a business outcome return on an iot project and one of the most common ways of doing it is saying well if it, you know what does every one percent of non-connectivity do to your business you know yeah. it's cost time brand customer satisfaction all those and that's actually where the roi is um, uh, from our perspective, because we offer the highest percentage, but 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 then what people then start doing, and that's where we're going to go now, is they they implement one way initially. Now in your case, you did B two C, and then you pivoted to B two B. You got acquired. Then now you're scaling B two B. You've gone to different customers, not just BT, but EDF, so the you know power uh, distribution uh, company, other types of customers. So you're becoming a logistics 
a sort of a, a B2B version of, of Amazon lockers, actually. Um, but then now you're also offering, becoming a logistics company to actually put stuff in, in, in lockers and um, uh, take it out again. And then you started going into a very interesting area, which is you're now starting to get more granularity of data around individual items that are within lockers. Yep. Um, and that raises a very interesting um, uh, possibility, which I'd like to explore a little bit, which is, are you actually a physical product company anymore or are you becoming an information company? Uh, in other words, what do you think the potential is here to actually start doing more than just have information about the pro customer's products when they're in one location? I mean, you know, these products come out of the lockers and then they move. And so there's tracking possibilities and, and various uh, uh, things. Um, so what, what, what are your thoughts around that area? Yeah, so you know, yeah, it is logistics, and, and it's all about things moving, not not sitting there in lockers. And obviously, it becomes quite important to know where everything's moving at, at once. So right now, we're we're in very much snapshot mode. You know, as a whole industry, you know, we know it's in a hub, it's in a van, it's yeah. dropped off, and there's all this space You'd in between. points, but a lot of yeah. gap in between. There's all this space in between. Uh, you know, there's absolutely no visibility of what's going on. Um, you know, if something happened to the parcel it's kind of like well it was in the van but well where was the van was it parked okay we can tell that much was the door open was it on the shelf it was supposed to be on did he you know take it off the shelf at any point and put it somewhere he wasn't supposed to yeah. you know there's all these and you can say that for, for pretty much everything from ships to planes to in the warehouses yeah. um you can because all and if you think about the sure amount of goods moving around all this time and not you know basically all these assets moving around you want to be able to sort of see it in one go that's where every single thing is so you know where everything anything goes missing what happens because it's what it's about what what goes wrong really isn't it you know it's about because when things do go wrong when things do go missing that's the points that you don't actually see where product yeah. is. It, it doesn't go missing when he's handing it to you know to the person at the end of the line you know yeah. that's not where it goes missing it goes missing you know in the fans when it's in transit um on the ships on the planes in the warehouses that's where it goes missing where you sort of presume oh it's been stamped in but it's never been stamped out um so yeah. that's it's all about that sort of asset tracking you can see and sort of grow that further on so if you could always see where something was for everything you can start to redo and rethink how you think uh supply chain and logistics work because you can sort of almost get rid of warehouses and get rid of that's right you know all these yeah. stock locations and holding stock and just have it always dynamically moving and if you well, can see where everything is you can redirect it yeah excuse me yeah you're right in fact a lot of the warehouses um i, I in a previous life uh, dealt with amazon before they introduced amazon prime and amazon lockers just happened to uh uh know uh, about them and they had these big distribution centers and then they had smaller ones um, outside cities and then they have even smaller ones and now eventually they've pushed it right the way final mile right the way to the consumer basically but they've optimized the uh, supply chain and a lot of these buffering stocks which can be 30 percent of the total products in the supply chain um, a lot of the buffering was because of the inefficiencies in the supply chain so if you can actually get better visibility uh, um, almost real-time, ultimately real-time visibility by yeah. product, then actually you not only get data and visibility, but you actually save huge amounts of money because you don't need the, the buffering 
stocks and the um, uh, the uh, the warehouses, uh, and um, you actually get huge savings um, uh, because you've got supply chain visibility. So it's an enormous price. How are you going to? Can you talk about how you might be able to do that? Um, not really. <laughs> I think <laughs> good. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can obviously imagine how how that would work. It would it, it would go on to you know it, it, it's assets you know packages totes and stuff will have to become smart to do that. You yeah. know these individual units that you are transporting because right now what they are are just you know uh, labels with barcodes on them and requires someone to scan them and someone mm-hmm. to scan them at the other end that you know that doesn't work for asset tracking you know that's just the snapshots um what what we need is i suppose those totes or packages or even items themselves to become the iot products they they've they've um and i know there's competitive uh, uh for competitive reasons if even if you do you are planning on going in this direction you're not going to talk on my podcast about <laughs> It's not that you don't know it; it's just that you don't want to talk about it. I, I get that, um, but but yeah, absolutely. The um, it, the products themselves have to have a smart label of some sort on them, with yep. some form of power, um, and uh, because what you really want is the products to actually say, "I'm here, I'm here," uh, because you know a lot of people have tried to solve it just putting a lot of sensors and scanners all around the place, but you've still got all these gaps. And as you said, when they're on a ship or uh, when they're on a plane um uh it's obviously a little difficult because there isn't any cellular um signal but with 5g and, and what's going to happen on um, narrowband um the, the ability uh, and mesh networks uh, the ability to actually track millions if not billions of things almost all the time not quite all the time but almost all the time is going to revolutionize um uh supply chain when when you start getting so let, let's skip over what solution you might be implementing but but when you um if and when you get this ability to do that it seems to me that you're morphing again as a company uh into another type of company you you're becoming a company that who has better information about where a customer's products are than the customer themselves have information so therefore you can sell something new called uh, information about where your products are uh, yes. and that's a that's a pretty exciting prospect for you isn't it uh, yeah it is you you become a sort of almost like a, a management consultant to so, some extent going in and telling them how to do things because you end up knowing more about their business than maybe they do or at least an aspect of it which will be their supply chain and coming in and saying well if you start doing things differently you can Yes. Run your business this way and, be, and become more efficient. Yeah, you can. You can. Uh, I can see from the way that you're running it compared yeah. to the industry norms for other customers in your vertical. Yeah, you are efficient here, but not efficient here. Therefore, this is the opportunity for you, and we can help you. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that last line is the important one, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> how, how we can help you normally yeah. for a price. Um, but yeah, you're sort of you're either becoming like a management consultant or you're partnering with management consultants or global system integrators. But but because you you have the data, and um, uh, we have a we have several um, uh, customers who are doing that. I've talked about them on the podcast before. So uh, you know Brambles, who own the Chep brand, which are the pallets um, and uh, containers and pallets, but they 
have got uh, uh, tens of millions of devices, which are the blue pallets that you see in Costco um, have uh, a battery powered um, device molded inside the plastic. Yeah. The issue there is the battery life management, but they know where the products are within, you know, within Costco, if you like. Um, another another customer of ours is called in the U.S. customer again uh, called uh, Link Labs, and Link Labs are doing uh, this tracking at a more granular level in the in the sense of uh, you know these plastic containers like a cardo they drop your shopping off yeah uh, trays they, yeah yeah and they get they're the ones that go down the conveyor belts in the factory so it's the same and then it gets loaded into a van and then it gets dropped off to the customer so it's the same product so if you put a tracker on that you are getting um, continuous uh, visibility. The issue is that people tend to keep those plastic crates because they're quite useful, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, kids' toys or, or uh, just quite useful. So just tracking those, it's, it's not so much tracking the devices, it's actually tracking the container. Um, uh, so there are a lot of companies uh, trying to do this. I think one of the advantages that you've got um, is that you've got... Um, You've got the customers more directly than than other companies. You you've already got the field field set field service uh, force um, using your lockers anyway for their. Yeah. You're already embedded in their job in their business process. So there's some natural extensions for you just to go a little bit wider, a little bit sideways, and solve a few more of those issues. So it's going to be very interesting to watch your progress. Yeah, it's a, it's a small step by step. Yeah. We'll do this next and this to, to get to this final picture where we yeah. we yeah. are the, the knowing all being of their supply chain really yeah uh, yes yeah there's a phrase in the again in, in the us is is um not not your this is not your grandfather's oldsmobile which uh, perhaps might, might not mean too much for people outside the us but it was oldsmobile was seen as being a you know really a, a old-fashioned car and suddenly it was uh, marketed as, wow, you know, what happened, transformation. And I only mentioned that because, you know, if you think about the story we just told, and then you have to say, this is BT that we're talking about. I mean, I, you know, you wouldn't associate BT, you know, fixed line telecom company wouldn't, wouldn't naturally associate them with supply chain, logistics, uh, managed services around product information, supply chain optimization. So it's a, it's a very innovative story it's a great story of acquiring a startup and um and then turning it into a service and then using that service to actually create a whole new set of capabilities away from the core business of the parent company yep, yep. it doesn't We're not a telecoms provider you know it's not yeah, what it doesn't we do. rely on the broadband to the customer's house yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we've made that decision that we won't use we don't use wi-fi you know we could have obviously said quite early on in in Pelipod when it was a box outside someone's house oh we'll make it with wi-fi but we we didn't even in, in bt we kept that yeah kept that off. we're not well, certainly as si glad you made that decision by the way <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, th I think it works better doesn't it but it does work better yeah. you, can't really, you know what happens if you it's like the uh, you know the bosch mowers they always say people say why did why does the bosch robotic mower not not use wi-fi well a when it gets more than 25 foot away from your router it grinds to a halt. But B, what happens when your Wi-Fi goes down or you change the password? You then lose your products. And yeah. so you just can't, it's great, it's free, but you can't rely on it. And so cellular is 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 always the one that people use as the fallback option. Same for alarm panels. Um, listen, this is a really um a great uh, great story. It's, it seems to me that it's something perhaps we could visit even in the, again in the future because 
you are um, gradually, as I said, expanding your capabilities across the supply chain piece by piece from the field sales force of the customers that you already have. And you've got within BT, you've got your own field sales, field service force, which is huge. But now with customers like EDF and others, you're, you're adding new customers. So it'd be interesting to watch your progress um, in this area, particularly getting down to tracking individual items. Um, which is a huge opportunity. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for the future of, of BT Final Mile. Um, you know, given where I started in the company and what it was back then, and literally I started and we didn't even have an office. I think my first day was plugging the cables into the walls uh, for the, for the computers to to now and, and and what we've got in the future. So I think in another eight years, you know, what will BT Final Mile look then? You know, I thought, you know, will there be still be lockers on site? Probably not. It'd probably be a different sort of company altogether with the yeah, well, changes. I, yeah, I think we all will be. I got one final question for you before I let you go. Um, I assume you go you go home still um, regularly back to Ireland, uh, and so have you since that uh, day? Uh, have you uh, ever had a phone call again from the airline um, where you had to uh, uh, race to the airport? In other words, have you had to shake your dad awake uh, to get you to the airport, or are those days behind you? They're, they're well gone. Um, I've definitely <laughs> had flights cancelled on me, but uh, not a phone call to tell me beforehand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as you said, there were days when the airline, when the airline customer service was good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's another problem, which um, we're still searching for the IoT use case that solves that one. Um, that's probably more of a financial problem than a, a, a problem. <laughs> problem. Um, great. It's a really nice story. And um, both on a personal level and also from a business point of view, and, and the added bonus of, of rats and cows as well, which always makes it uh, always <laughs> yeah, a little bit of entertainment there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Jono, um, thanks very much. Thanks for um, uh, 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 being my guest this week. And for our listeners, um, you've been uh, listening to uh, the IoT Leaders podcast with me, your host, Nick Bell, the CEO of SI. And I hope you have enjoyed this episode and we look forward to um, uh, bringing you another episode shortly with another, another very interesting customer. In the meantime, have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.